Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. Last week we looked at verses 10 and 11, and today we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. Um, I know we're going slow uh, through this section of Philippians, but it's a a really important section. Uh, Paul is laying out kind of his theology of... um, Religion versus a relationship with Christ. And then last week we looked at what that passion was of Paul uh, driving in his life. And today we're really going to revisit that in verses 12 through 14, but with an emphasis of how to attain it or how by which we are to go after that passion. So a very famous passage of scripture. I bet when I read this, many of you will say, I've heard that before. I've Memorize that before. I have a t-shirt with that on it. Um, It's almost one of Paul's most well-known phrases. Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Father in heaven, we ask you to help us this morning. We ask you, God, to give us the gumption, give us the determination to pursue the big one thing in life. I pray that your spirit would press upon us our desperate need to lay hold of that for which you have caught and apprehended us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul trips over himself in this passage. If you'll notice, whenever somebody says something like three times, right in a row, uh, you know they're working really hard to make sure you get it, right? They're working really hard to make sure you understand this thing. And, and in this, these couple verses here, now, now remember, back up, okay, back up. Verse 10, Paul has just told us, here's the passion of who I am. Now that I'm joined to Jesus, now that I don't have my own fake righteousness, but I've actually got Jesus' righteousness, now that I'm connected to Jesus, the passion of my life is to know him and to tap into his power and share his life and be conformed to, to him in his death. And, and so now verses 12 and 13 and 14, Paul trips over himself to say, I'm not there yet. Don't, don't think that because I'm telling you this, don't think that because I'm an apostle, don't, don't think that because I'm Paul that I'm telling you, man, I've already arrived. I'm at the finish line. I've got all this under control. No, no, Paul, Paul goes over and over again. Not that I've already obtained this, not that I'm already perfect. I don't consider that I've made it my own. Three different times in these couple verses, Paul is emphasizing that he has not arrived. Now, where is he arrived? Let's, let's settle that first of all. What, what has Paul not obtained? What has he not got yet? What has he not apprehended yet? Well, first of all, he's not talking about his salvation, okay? If there's ever a guy that was sure about heaven, it's Paul, okay? Uh, Some people, I've heard people say that. No, 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 no. Philippians 1, remember these verses, 21 through 23? What do you mean to live as Christ, to die as gain? Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. Okay, let me give you another example of this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. 
He says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who've loved his appearing. Does it sound like Paul is confused about where he's going to go when he dies? He's not. He's not. He's certain of this deal, okay? He's sure of of the fact that Christ lives in me. So what does Paul want? What does he want? Well, let's, let's look at the context, all right? Verse 12 says, not that I've already obtained this. What is this? Well, what do the verses right before it say? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. This is verse 10. And share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. Remember this from last week? Paul says, I want to know Jesus. Not know about him, but I want to hear from him. I want to interact with him. I want to embrace who he is. I want to see more of his glory. I want to experience Christ in me. I want to tap into the power of his resurrection. I want his power in my life. I want his power to to, to have victory over sin and temptation. I want his power to shape me and change me. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to share in his life. I want to live Jesus' life. I want to be on his mission. I want to be conformed to, to his death. I want Jesus died to sin. I want to die to sin. I want to be a sin killer. I want to be a sin assassinator. I want to sin less and less. Now you're saying, well, but he already has those things. He's saying that's what he's doing now. Okay, here's what Paul is going after. Are you ready? One word, okay? Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this. What is this? One word, more. Okay, you hear that? More. Okay, Paul is on an insatiable mission to have more and more of Jesus. I know what some of you are thinking. How in the world could somebody spend their whole life just wanting more? Have you looked around? Huh? Have you looked around? We, we're all that way. We're just confused about what more is. Okay? For most of the population, more is money. Okay? When they're a kid and they have the, the part-time job or, or the, the first full-time job and they make 15000 a year, 10000 a year, you know what they think? If only I had more, right? I wouldn't have to drive this beater. I wouldn't have to live in an apartment. If only I had more, more. And then they get a job that pays them more. And now they're making twenty five, thirty thousand double. Well, they're content now, right? They're the employee that comes in and says, just keep the paycheck. I've got them stacked up at home, right? That's who they are. No, no. They've done spin it and they need more. And then, man, job opens up. Big job. $60,000 a year. Triple. Well, that's surely enough. That's, That's no more done with money. Oh, no, 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 no. Got a mortgage, got a car payment, got a car payment for the good, for the wife. We are strapped. Pastor, when are you going to do Larry Burkett class? We got to manage our money, you know. We we need more, more. Well, then, man, they've got got one acre. One acre that dad left them. Living on one acre, drilling oil well. Right in the middle of the deal, right? Now, they're making 100,000 a year. That's, no, 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 no. It is never enough. It is never enough. My friends, you understand that? For most people, now it should be. Actually, Paul tells us there's things that we ought to be content with. 
There's things in our life we ought to realize, you know what? More's not the answer. More doesn't satisfy. Money is one of those, by the way. First Timothy 6, this is not the sermon. This is for free. You're getting this for free. First Timothy 6, verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can't take anything out of it. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. There is hardly anybody in America who has that, okay? But Paul says we ought to be content. We ought to wise up and realize more is not the answer, not more money anyway. But here you got Paul in Philippians 3 who says, I have an insatiable appetite for more of Jesus I got to have it. I am straining every muscle in my body. I am single-minded, one pursuit, pressing everything to have more of Christ, to experience more of Him, to become like Him. I want more. I want more of Jesus. Now notice Paul says, I'm not there. How does he know he's not there, by the way? Paul had gotten good It's something that I know I, and I think you, need to be better at. Paul had gotten good at examining himself. Did you know the Bible tells us to do that? It says you ought to do it. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, test yourself. Examine yourself. The Bible says we ought to... we're not very good at that, folks. Most people, you know how we want to examine ourselves? We want to examine ourselves on the jet at 33,000 feet, right? Whenever you look down, you know, and you see a little speck, and you don't see any smoke or explosion, so you assume it's good. That's what most of us like to do with our life. And that's not a very good examination, okay? We have this default setting that things are good unless otherwise indicated or directed. But listen, for most of us, we need to get better at examining our life. Let me tell you, here's a telltale sign that we're not good at examining ourselves. If you have not confessed and repented of sin recently, you're probably not examining your life well. Okay? If you've not come to the point where you were struck with conviction that your heart is not where it needs to be, that your words are not what they need to be, that your, your action was wrong and sin against God Almighty, and you come to a brokenness and you come before God and say, God, I am sorry. I, I confess my sin. You are right. I turn to you and plead the blood of Jesus over my life. And now, Lord, give me power not to do that again. And you go back into the situation that you just came out of and you do everything you can to make right what you wronged if you haven't done that recently a you're jesus welcome here brother we are so glad you are here you're our king or b you've not been looking at your life very well examine yourself how do you know if you're growing how do you know if you're growing in the faith let's let's take verse 10 then i may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How do you know if you are progressing in that? Well, let me give you some things that I think about. First of all, that I may know him, that I may know more of Jesus, experience more of Jesus, interact with Jesus, hear from Jesus. Here's the way that I know I'm growing or not growing there is my joy in Christ increasing. Okay? Do I find myself just being thrilled with Jesus. Do I find myself, things going wrong in my life, but I'm like, yeah, but Jesus is so good. That's a way I know I'm growing. You know why? Because nobody gets more of Jesus and wants to take it back, okay? 
You just don't do that. Not, not, not Christians. Not Christians, okay? Lost people, yes. But, but, but believers who truly see the glory of Jesus, they're, they're happy in that. They're joyful in that. They're blessed in that. Okay, so one of the ways we know is, is are, do you find yourself being increasingly joyful in, in Christ and who he is in your life? How do we know whether we're tapping into the power of the resurrection? Okay, that was the second thing, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection. How do I know that I'm tapping into that power? Because you're doing things you couldn't do before, okay? You're, you're doing things that your flesh doesn't do, okay? You know one of the ways I know that right away? I am loving, difficult people, Okay. Whenever I'm loving difficult people, whenever I'm pouring into people, whenever, whenever I'm getting smacked uh, across the cheek and I'm turning the other and saying, that was so good, would you give me another? Okay? When I'm doing that, I've got the power of the resurrection. Okay? When, when, whenever I find myself being patient and, and forbearing, that's, that's Jesus. You know how I know it's Jesus? Because it's not Jason. That's not Jason naturally. When you find yourself doing things that are not you, that's the power of the resurrection. I want that more. Am I growing in that? Am I growing in that? Is that increasing? How do you know whether you're sharing, your, sharing his life? Okay, Verse 10, and may share his sufferings, share his ministry, share his mission. How do you know? Well, you're doing the things that Jesus does. What kind of things did Jesus do? He pushes the gospel out. He speaks truth. Do you find yourself speaking truth? Do you find yourself with the word of God on your lips? Do you find yourself in conversations? Hey, here's what the Bible says. Hey, here, here, here's, what, here's, what, here's one of my favorite verses. Hey, you know what? God, God really showed me this in the scriptures. I want to share it with you. Okay, do you find yourself speaking the gospel, speaking truth? Do you find yourself ministering, caring for people, meeting needs, doing Jesus' work? That's how you know if you're sharing his life. Are you growing in that? Is that more and more in your life? How do you know whether you're becoming conformed to him in his death, becoming like him? Is there lots of repenting and trusting Christ and progressing? Remember when we did that small group semester on progress it? Remember that? 2 Peter 1 was kind of our main verse there. In verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with, and listen to all these, Virtue, and virtue and knowledge, and knowledge of self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And then verse 8 says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Are you growing? Paul says, I'm pressing on. Do, do, Do you hear what he says there in Philippians? He says, I press on. The word press is, is, is labor, it's work, it's effort, it's reaching, straining, bearing down. You know, one of, one of the ways you know that you're growing is if, if, you got, if you're given an effort. Did you know it's possible to go to the gym and not do anything? Did you know that? Not, not like not do anything good. You can do, I've done it before, okay? I have done it before. You just, first of all, you need a partner. It's much easier with a partner because you can visit, right? And so you, you like go over to something and you don't really strain yourself. You just kind of do the whatever, you know, whatever exercise you're doing. And then you visit a while, you know? And then you go and you visit, you know? And you can really go out of there not having really accomplished much, right? So how, one of the ways you know that you're, you're actually growing, you know, your muscles are getting stronger, you're, you're, you're cardiovascular is getting better. There's a couple ways. The, the one telltale is sweat, okay? Sweat is, you know, when you see that there's water coming out of your pores and you got big rings, okay, 
Hey, that's a sign you've done something. Or you're in the sauna. You could be in the sauna. If that's the case, you're not really doing it. But if you, if because of your exertion, you're, you're sweating. If, if you're tired, you know? I mean, you get the last rep and you're like, I'm out, you know? And you walk out of there like this, you know? And you go to your car door and you're like, you know, that's a sign you've done something. You, 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 you've exerted yourself. I got to tell you this since he's not here. I didn't say this in the other services, but Dr. Kirkendall rode with us for the first time. You guys have been keeping him so busy in the hospital, he doesn't ever ride with us anymore. Thanks a lot, okay? But uh, he rode with us for the first time yesterday. We did our 27-mile loop, and, man, he was right up with us, and I tried to run away from him several times, and he kept matching me, and I thought, man, this guy, he doesn't even ride, and he stays in shape. And we got back to my house, and we were visiting a little bit, and and he kind of got up, and he, he was like this, and he's like, I don't feel so good, you know? I say, yeah, all right. And he says, can you take me home? <laughs> we hey, you know what? There's not a doubt. He exerted himself, all right? He exerted himself. Listen, honesty. Have you worked at all in your spiritual life? You're not growing if you haven't worked on it, okay? If you're not tired, if you're not... Have you not put any sweat equity into it? It's just silly to say I'm growing. Are you growing? Notice this little section. This is a cool section. Paul says in verse 12, but I press on to make it my own. Now, now listen, that word make it my own, it's a word that means to catch, to grab, to grasp, to obtain Okay, to apprehend. That's kind of, it kind of reminds me of a policeman, policeman, you know. You apprehend, you know. Suspect is apprehended. Okay, you, you catch, okay. He says, I press on to make it my own. And then notice this phrase. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Same word. See, you know what that means? If you're a Christian, Jesus has caught you. He got you. He apprehended you. Do you, do you ever look at your, you ever look at your Christian life that way? Because, I mean, there, there's a big difference between you having something and something having you, right? I've never done this, but those guys that noodle, those, you know, go in under the rock and get the fish, you know. I mean, I would think that most generally they get the fish, right? But like, what? Wouldn't it be cool? I don't know if this ever happened. Wouldn't it be cool like if they got a hold of like a hundred and fifty pounder? You know, then there would be a discussion on do they have the fish or does the fish have them, right? Because there's a difference. There's a difference. Now listen. Do you have Jesus or does he have you? You know when he's got you. You know some telltale signs of that? Man you can't go in your own direction very far. Before he starts making things really hard on you. First John 3 says. We, as a believer we can't live in habitual sin. Because the spirit of God disciplines us. He comes out hard on us. Man, I worry about folks, and man, I know some of them have friends, and and they'll they'll be in the wrong, and they kind of have a I don't care attitude about it. Yee, that, you know, I, I I worry about that because I mean Jesus got me, and boy, he I start being a stinker, and he starts twisting on me hard. This is in the David Psalm thirty two. 
verse uh, 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He's talking about when he didn't confess his sin. He didn't repent. Through my groaning all day. Why is he groaning? God has him. God's tightening up the screws. Verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God's, God's squeezing him. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's a testimony of somebody that has been apprehended by God. Well, here's a question. If God's got you, why did he get you? What's he got you for? You know the answer that a lot of people I think would answer? So that I don't go to hell. And that is an incredible benefit. I mean, uh, thank you, Jesus. That's, that's pretty good. That's not why God's got you. Okay? God, Christ did not apprehend you so that you could be more of you minus hell. Okay? Christ did not apprehend you so that you could piddle away your life on meaningless pursuits and then not go to hell. That's not the way, that's not why Jesus got you. Jesus has you. He apprehended you. He came after you for a purpose. Let me give you a couple verses that really nail home this purpose. One is Romans 8, 29. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, listen, be conformed to the image of his son. What is what's God, what did he get you for? He got you to make you like Jesus. To make you more and more like Jesus and less and less like you. One of my favorites, I'm hoping to wear out your Bible on this page is my goal. 2 Corinthians 3.18, I have you turn to it all the time. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. What does that mean? We're seeing Jesus. We're, we're beholding him. We're, 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 we're knowing him. Are being transformed into the same image. Into Jesus' image. And then here's why I like it. From one degree of glory to another. How, how do you become more like Jesus? Is it all at once? Bam! You go to the right service, you know, you hear the right sermon, you re- sing the right song, and boom, there's this powerful, radiating light, and you kind of come off the ground a little, and your wings flap, and you come back down, and all of a sudden, you are just like Jesus. You get in the car, and the kids are like, bring back dad, what happened to dad? You know, because you're so different. Is that, is that the way it happens? Not in my life. In my life, it is one gut-wrenching day after another. Trusting Jesus, looking to Jesus, following Jesus, repenting of my sin, confessing my sin, seeking Him, being in His Word, pleading with Him in prayer. And one degree of glory to another, I become, begin to begin like Jesus Christ. Okay? So... What, what, let's review here. Paul, Paul is saying, I haven't already obtained it. I'm not already there, but I press on to make it my own, becoming like Jesus, being conformed to his image, because Christ Jesus made me his own. Now, what is the means by which you're going to do this? Okay, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's where we're going. Now, how do we get this done in our life? I tell you what, if, if, if you didn't want to squirm, then stop listening now. Some of you can do that. I've seen you stop listening. You just kind of, you go to your happy place, wherever that is, and, you know, there's this on your face. So just go there now. That's fine. I don't care. Uh, it's between you and God, all right? But this is, this is going to beat you up, all right? Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. One thing I do. One thing I do. 
Now you say, well, that Paul only did one thing in his life? No, no, no. Paul did a whole bunch of things in his life. But when he says, one thing I do, this is the one thing that has to be done. Okay, you got lots of stuff in your life, but it's all prioritized, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's all got a priority value, and you get some things done, and other things don't get done. Why? One thing I do. One thing I do. Paul is saying, this is the thing that must be done in your life, okay? Jesus Christ has got you. He has apprehended you to make you like himself. And you, you've got, to, that's the one thing that must be done in your life. Now, this is hard for us because we are easily distracted. And let me tell you how one thing normally goes in our lives. It normally goes like this. One thing I, I am late for work. Uh, those guys, my coworker is going to be gone again. How much does he take off? I, I got to get there. One thing I, oh, I just got a call from my dad. He's had kind of a mini stroke. I don't think he's doing well. Man, my attention's got to be there. One thing I, we have got to get this house painted. This is the third season. It's going to rot. The rafters are going to rot. Get Everybody, get your paint clothes on. We're painting this house now. One thing I, I got a new bike. I got to go ride the thing. I'm not going to pay the money for a new bike if I'm not going to ride the thing. One thing I, we got to get to soccer. We got to get to baseball. We got to get to wrestling. We got to get to volleyball. We got to get to dance. One thing I, I am exhausted. I cannot do another thing. I, I'm out. You get your own supper. I'm on the couch. That's how it goes, isn't it? That's exactly how our one thing goes. Anybody identify with that? Bad news. Normally, I love to give you good news because Jesus is good news. But I must give you some really bad news, okay? Are you ready? That is not going to change. Okay? When I was 20, I thought it would change. I really did. I thought I was working two jobs, going to school full time. And I thought if I just get through this part of my life, you know, it's going to be, oh, I'm going to wake up in the morning, have an hour or two to kind of get myself ready and read my Bible and, and then leisurely all go to work. You know, I really thought that, that it would change. It's not going to change. And at 41, I'm telling you, it will not change. Okay? It won't change. That, just get it out of your head and stop thinking, as soon as I get through this, then I'll pursue the one thing. As soon as we get here in our business, then. As soon as I get here in my company, then. It's not going to change. It will never change. If you don't do the one thing now, you will never do it. You won't do it. You, you'll lay in that hospital room. Kirkendall will come in. He'll take your pulse. You'll fade into a cloud. Your kids will cry. And you will die never doing the one thing. Never. I am serious. You won't do it unless you do it now. I mean, I'm just, I, I, I'm, maybe I'm just speaking to myself, but I'm convinced of that. There will always be something pressing on you. If it's not a little kid pulling on your leg, it's going to be a parent pulling on you. It's going to be a friend. It's going to be your job. It's going to be your work. It's going to be your cancer. It's going to be your heart attack. It's going to be your house falling down. It's going to be your plumbing. It's going to be your car. It's going to be, it will be something. And you have to decide now, what is your one thing? Because if your one thing is not this, it's not going to get done. One thing I do. That demands, Paul is so wise here, man, that demands that we, we do some forgetting 
and some straining. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now, Paul can mean a lot of stuff here because there's a lot of things that lies behind. I think he means all of it. But in the context, notice that he has just given a list of all of his accomplishments. Isn't that interesting? Like in verse 5 and 6 and 7, you know. And I can't help but think that one of the things Paul means here is you can't live in your past victories. You can't be a used to Christian, okay? A used to Christian is a Christian that used to do team kids and used to drive a bus and used to read their Bible and used to, you know, be in a Bible study and used to have an accountability group and used to pray with their wife and used to all kinds of stuff. You can't live in that, okay? There are things that you can accumulate and just coast, okay? My great-grandmother had a basement that literally was a grocery store, okay? If everything shut down and the apocalypse came, Susanna Unruh would be alive today because she could have lived off that basement. When my great-grandpa died, there were like 11 pair of overalls in the package on the shelf. My grandpa had enough overalls literally for the rest of his life, okay? I mean, he did. I mean, they, that's the way they lived. They they stored up stuff, okay? They, they were ready, all right? You can't do that with your Christian life. You can't read your Bible a whole bunch today and don't need it tomorrow, okay? You can't do that. You can't serve for 30 years and say, you know what? I've served 30 years. This will do me. I can step out of the mission of Jesus. I can step out of living his life. I don't have to because I've got this stored up. You don't store it up. It's every day, every day in the battle, every day pursuing Christ, every day trying to be conformed into his image, every day being Jesus. It's every day. It's like oxygen. Try this today. Try it. Tell me how it goes. Send me an email tomorrow. Tell me how it goes. Breathe twice as much today. That's not hard. Okay, just do that all day. And tomorrow, don't breathe at all. Okay, try that. Try it. You can't, you can't do that with your spiritual life, okay? There's a lot of people that want to live in the past victories, okay? It just doesn't work that way. The minute you stop, you start, you start atrophying. We got a lot of runners in our church. I don't understand them, but we got them. And, uh, you know, man, they run 26 miles in one stretch. Now, to me, I mean, honestly, if I run three times a week, two miles a piece, that is more than enough. I mean, that's, that's like the picture of health, Okay. Six miles a week. So I'm thinking if, if I ran 26, I would be good for like a month. That would, be, that would be enough, right? I wouldn't need to. And if I had trained for that dude, you know, and been running like 17, 18, I mean, I would not, I'd not, not need to do anything but eat ice cream on the couch for a year, you know. And, and I would think I would still be fit. But is that the way it works, my friends? It's not. It's not it doesn't work that way. As soon as that guy stops running, what happens? He starts getting out of shape. Some of you don't dwell on your past successes. You know what stops you? You dwell on your past failures. So you messed up. You blew it big. Maybe you blew a year. Maybe you blew a decade. Maybe you blew a couple decades. Maybe you blew half your life. I am sorry. I am sorry that you did not get apprehended by Jesus sooner. But here is the deal. You can't live in that you don't live in the past. If you're a Christian, then Christ has apprehended you. He has got you for a purpose to make you into the image of his son. You're to be made in the image of Christ. And so whatever happened behind, leave it there. Put it on the cross. Ask forgiveness. Repent of it. And now go forward. 
And don't identify with that anymore. You're not that person. You're new in Christ. It's over. It's done. It's in your past. Go forward. You know what's even worse? What's even worse is to live in somebody else's sin. Okay? Man, I, I know bad things happen to people. They happen to me. But you know what a lot of people do? A lot of people have this bad thing that happened to them. Someone, their dad let them down, their mom let them down, their brother, their sister, their friend, their whatever. Someone did something cruel to them. Someone betrayed them. Someone slandered them. Someone lost, they got, they lost their job, whatever. And you know what they'll do? They'll put that yellow tape around them and they'll draw the chalk line of, the, of their, of their beaten, beaten self on the ground and they will literally stay there. They don't ever leave the spot. They stay at the crime scene forever. And they live their life right here. And every time they try to move forward, they're like, but my, my mom was never there. Every time they try to move more, but that guy ruined my eye. You know what I would have if they hadn't done that? And, you know, they try to move more. You know, but my, 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 my folks didn't leave. They left everything to my brother. And they betrayed me. And I'm so angry. And, and everything is right here. And they never go forward. They, they never get on with it. They never get what God has made them to be. Don't live there. You, you, got, you got to say, this was bad, this was sin, and God takes care of sin, and I trust him. And God, I'm leaving the crime scene to you. You're a just judge. You'll take care of it. I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to be made into the image of, his son, of, of Christ, God's son. One thing. I can't get over that right there. That right there is the sermon for me. One thing I do. One. There's one that's got to be done. Everything else is optional. One thing. Forgetting what lies behind. And listen to this. Straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, the word straining is, is the picture of, of using every fiber of your being to stretch to the next step. Okay? Now, here. Hear this out. What is the next step for you? What is that next step? Here's where I believe that God wants us to make resolves. I believe that for a biblical reason, because in 2 Thessalonians 1.11, it says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve. It assumes we're, we're making resolves for good and every work of faith by his power. But, but here's, here's, here's the thing in this passage. Verse 10, that I may know him. I want, I want to experience Jesus. I want to tap into the power of his resurrection. I want to share his suffering. I want to share his life. I want to become like him in his death. Okay, that's the big picture. That's where we're going. That's our goal. But listen, goals have to be strained forward a step at a time. It's not one step there, is it? Paul's still not there. He's just, it's always more. And so straining forward to what lies ahead means you're going there but to get there you got to get here does that make sense everybody if i if i make a goal to go to seattle washington that's a that's a great goal i've never seen mount rainier i'd love to go there never been in that part of the, i've never been in the specific northwest love to go there okay but you know what if that's just my goal and i and i always talk about i'm going to seattle i'm going to seattle I'm going to seattle okay, there's some things that had to be done for me to get to seattle uh, number one I got, I got to turn in my, my, my leave of absence to, my, to the work, to my personnel committee. I got, I got to say, I'd like vacation time. And then, you know, I got to pack. 
And then I got to go get gas in the car. I'm not going to make it to Seattle without gas. And then I've got to have a, a secure proper money. And, and then, then you know what I got to do? I got, I got to leave my house. I got to turn left. I got to turn north on 270. And I got to start driving to a Ford Supply. You don't get to Seattle unless you get to Ford Supply. I guess you could get another way. But that's the way I would go. And then I'm going to turn right, right after Ford Supply, and I'm going to get to Buckland. After I get to Buckland, I'm going to get to Dodge. After I get to Dodge, I'm going to, I'm going to get to Garden. I'm going to hit 83, and I'm going to go to I-70, just outside of Oakland. I'm going to turn west to Denver. When I get to Denver, I'm going to go north on I-25 to Cheyenne. I'm going to hit I-80 at Cheyenne. I'm going to I'll go to Idaho Falls. When I get to Idaho Falls, I resolve to buy a map because I don't know how to get the rest of the way. You know, I've never been past Idaho Falls, but I know I've got to get there to get up there. And for many of you, listen, you got this goal to know Christ. What is your next step? What are you straining for next? You got to, you got to, what, is, what is it? What is the next thing? To leave here saying, that's awesome. I want, I want to, the one thing in my life is I want to know Jesus. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his life. I want to be conformed in his death. I want to kill this end of my life. And you don't take another step. You're not getting there. Straining forward to what lies ahead. What are you straining? What is the next step, my friends? Here's here's where you need to get your pencil out right now. And you take that bulletin. You know why we give you a bulletin? To make notes on it. That's why, because we know you don't read it for the announcements. Because all of you don't, you're always asking about it. So, So get out your pen, get the bulletin, and start saying, what is the next step for me in my life? What is my next step? What's my next step? What is my next resolve? What What am I going to do? You want to know him? How are you going to know him? How are you going to do that? You going to open up your Bible? I didn't want to be a hypocrite this morning, so earlier I opened my journal and I wrote four resolves. And let me tell you what really helps me is putting time on it, okay? And what I mean by that is I had resolves and I said, I'm going to do this this week. And this one I'm doing from this time to this time. And this one I'm doing from this time to this time. And this one I'm doing from this time to this time. Now, I'm not saying that that's... I'm, I may resolve something different on Monday. I may say, you know what, that's not a good time. I'm going to do something different. But, but here's the deal. You've got to make a step before you can get there. You've got to make a step. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to resolve. Will you strain forward? Will you make this the one thing in your life? And will you strain to get there? Resolve after resolve. Notice verse 15. I know we didn't read that in our text, but here's what it says. But those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You know what Paul's saying there? There isn't another way. You see that? He says, those, those who are mature in their faith, those who are going forward. The, you know what mature means? Growing. Those who are growing... It's the only way. There's not, a, there's not another track. There's not, well, you know, I'm a really busy guy. That's what we all want to say. I'm the busy guy. I got, I, I'm the important guy in my company, so I need another track to grow. There isn't one. It either happens here or it doesn't. This is the way it's going to happen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you to Make the pursuit of Jesus Christ in us, being conformed to the image of Jesus, make that our one thing. God, make it our one thing. And Lord, I pray that you would give us 
godly resolves that we might strain forward to, to lay hold of today. Father in heaven, I ask you to, to work in us. Thank you, for, thank you for getting us, Lord. Thank you for catching us. Thank you for apprehending us. And Lord, I pray that we might, we might grab on to that for which you have grabbed on to us. Lord, help us. In Jesus' name.